Welcome. Thank you for joining us. You are listening to Gaining Christ Audio, a ministry designed to teach the truth of God from the Bible to encourage you in your knowledge of God or so that you will hear the true gospel, come to genuine faith in Christ Jesus, and receive eternal life from God if you have not already. In this podcast, we will answer this very important question. If Christ Jesus' perfect life and His one-time crucifixion on the cross is mankind's only hope for salvation, how then was a person saved who lived before Jesus? If Christ Jesus, which He is, is mankind's only hope for salvation, relationship with God, and eternal life. How then was a person saved and made right with God who lived before Jesus? This is a very good question. I have been asked this question many, many times over the last several years. And it is a common question that germinates when people learn about Christ and the gospel and begin to really study the Bible and discern the relationship between the Old Testament, the Old Covenant Scriptures, and the New Testament. Certainly, it is very clear how a person is saved today. Faith in Christ Jesus, his crucifixion, his perfect life, his resurrection. However, it is not so clear, seemingly, regarding those who live prior to not only the earthly life of Christ, but before Jesus was actually crucified. Some of you may be wondering, why does this subject matter even at all? We are 2,000 years after the fact. Well, it matters considerably because, as I believe we will see, understanding this truth shows the beauty and the power of God's loving grace and the exclusivity of the gospel and the preeminence of Christ Jesus and God's loving kindness to mankind, as well as it further stresses the urgency of the gospel going forward throughout our world. So let me ask you this question before we dig in. How do you think a person was saved who lived before Jesus? Were people even saved at all who lived before Jesus? How do you think? Well, there certainly are a number of assertions. And we will very quickly go through some of those that you might have heard or you think that are taught regarding this salvation way before Jesus Christ was ever on the planet. How is a person saved who lived before Jesus? Well, how is a person not saved? Let's look how a person was not actually saved. Number one by being a Jew or a descendant of Abraham. It is assumed by many, certainly the people at that time, that being a Jew, being an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, 
made you right with God, and that if you were of the people of God, you were right with God by being a Jew. Or they may say that during this time period, this different dispensation of time, the Old Testament time, that being a Jew was God's way of securing a person's eternal life, or if you're in the covenant community. According to the Bible, clearly, while there absolutely are advantages for a person back in the day, Abraham's day, but going in Moses' day at 1500 BC, and then the Jews moving into the New Testament time period, there were advantages to being a Jew. You had the prophets, you had the message, you have God's expectations, you had direction. And even Paul says in Romans 3, there's an advantage of being a Jew. But it does not mean, though, that being a Jew made you at any time in history better off than anyone else, even a Gentile. No one is righteous, no, not one, Romans 3. Paul emphasizes this in his letters. Being a Jew never yielded eternal life and salvation for anyone, that fact alone. You're never right with God or justified with God simply because you are a biological descendant of Abraham. There's far much more required for a person to have salvation. Number two, closely related, is, well, it's circumcision. If you're a Jew and a male, the sign of circumcision that was required through the Mosaic law, although God originally commanded this to Abraham, was a sign and of your justification or righteousness with God. That this mark secured your righteousness with God. The truth is, circumcision has never in history ever made anyone eternally right with God, saved or justified. Absolutely, it was commanded by God. And if you were not circumcised on the eighth day as a male, then you were kicked out of the covenant community as a covenant breaker. But it was not a means to salvation of any kind. This is one of the things that Paul, a Jew who did trust in his own circumcision prior to Christ being crucified, stresses in his letters in Romans, Galatians, Philippians, in many places. It's just like today, people trust in certain acts like water baptism as some kind of means of making you right with God. While it may have its value and importance, it does not justify or save anyone. Number three, a person was not saved before Jesus by his or her obedience to the law, the Mosaic law given by God to the Israelite people, where you had a pretty good record. According to the Bible, if you are trusting in the religious code, the law, the Old Covenant commandments, the Ten Commandments, plus approximately 600 additional laws as your means of righteousness, well, then you have to follow them all perfectly. One mistake and you're disqualified. Obedience to the law never made anyone perfect. In fact, people thought more highly about themselves and their own obedience Isaiah, the prophet, about 700 B.C., writes this about himself and his own people. 
We have all become, all become like one who is unclean. And all, all our righteous deeds are like menstrual rags. Isaiah 64, 6, literally a menstrual rag. Imagine handing something to God, a menstrual rag, and saying, is this righteous in your eyes? That is how God views anyone trusting in their good works or deeds at any time in history to be righteous with him. Menstrual rags. Romans 3.20, Paul writes, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law becomes knowledge of sin. One of the reasons God gave Israel the Ten Commandments and more is because they needed some guidelines to live coming out of that pagan culture of Egypt. And in their natural flesh and slavery to sin, they needed some motivation to walk in the ways of God as God was using this people to begin his plan on earth and to show them how sinful they actually are and to show them how desperately needy they are for a savior, all of which is good if they actually come to the savior, of course, but simply trying to follow the law to the best you can, never made anyone right with God. In fact, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 18, the law made nothing perfect or holy. In fact, if you're trusting in it, it's useless. This is what Paul says in Philippians 3 about himself. Hebrews 10, 1, the law is simply a shadow of the good things that are coming. It's not the reality itself. You put a light on your hand, and then you have a shadow on the wall, for example, that shadow is not your hand. It's just a picture of your hand. So the law was never a means to making anyone right with God or saved or taking away sins. People may say, fourthly, faithfulness to the covenant, which quite frankly for me is a bit ambiguous. I'm not really sure what that actually means, but it's like if you're faithful as a Jew to what God says and you do the things of God, you're faithful to his promises, then you are right with God. Well, that's works-based righteousness. That would mean that there was a way to earn your righteousness with God through good works and moral deeds, which the Bible is crystal clear, is impossible to yield such results. Fifthly, you may hear that, well, for people who live before Jesus, since obviously the crucifixion could not yet have occurred, If people had a general belief in God's goodness and graciousness, and they believed that his covenant promises were true. Now, this is good to believe that God's covenant promises are true because God is true and it's impossible for God to lie. But simply believing that God is gracious, simply believing that God's promises are true, does not yield for a person righteousness with God, salvation of sin, or eternal life in any way. Even people today can trust, yes, God is gracious. He's so merciful. So that must mean that people have salvation because God's merciful, or because I know he's merciful, that means I'm saved. No, it doesn't. It never has, simply knowing that. Again, it is very good to understand God is merciful and gracious. Animal sacrifices as a way of forgiving sins and making you clean and right with God. The regular temple sacrifices, bringing your animal of sacrifice to the priest to be slaughtered, or the big daddy day of atonement, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, once a year, that these sacrificial works 
save people from their sins, that every time a sacrifice was made, sins were being forgiven. Well, certainly while these sacrifices were commanded by God, no doubt. This does not mean that these sacrifices ever yielded salvation eternally or eternal life with God, because the truth is, according to the Bible, they did not. They had their role and function, but again, it was to further clarify the Jews and anyone's need for a sacrifice, blood to be shed for sins, and how sinful we are because we continue bringing sacrifices over and over to the priests, and it's not really working. And so we need something better. That's part of the purpose for sure. But doing them, though commanded by God, did not make a person saved. It never took away sins eternally. Psalm 40, verse 6, in sacrifice and offering, you are not pleased or delighted or satisfied. Psalm 51, 16, David continues, for you, O Lord, are not pleased with a sacrifice, or I would give it. This comes on the heels of his brutal sin of adultery and murder, and he's saying that sacrifices do not make up for sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The question is, well, then how could a person be saved before Jesus? Well, we'll answer that. Lastly, people would say, If you're a good person and you've never really heard the way of salvation, then you were right with God and you had salvation. This is not true. This is not an uncommon thought. Uh, Again, to reiterate Romans 5, every single person from Cain, the first human born to you and me today moving forward is condemned in Adam. Never hearing the gospel is not a way to righteousness. You don't get a free pass because you never heard it. This, again, is why it's so imperative for people to share the gospel and why many are working diligently to try to do the same. Many are shocked to learn that none of what I've mentioned have ever caused or made a person saved or right with God or the recipient of eternal life, even for those people, especially those who lived before God's way of salvation was granted. Jesus Christ, the man, his perfect life, crucifixion, resurrection. Some of the things mentioned, being a Jew, had advantages, being faithful, trying to be, was good. Believing promises are good, and doing animal sacrifices had their value. They were commanded But they did not provide salvation for any individual whatsoever at any time. If these did, then Paul would not have been so highly critical about himself and his own misled legalistic thoughts about how salvation with God and righteousness with God comes through being a Jew and being really good to the law and obeying the law and doing sacrifices and the things that are prescribed. The Old Covenant prescribed many things, but the subscription and the requirement of God of these things did not mean that these things were God's way of eternal salvation. So as we scratch our heads, perhaps we ask ourselves, well, then how then was a person saved who lived before Jesus, before 
Christ Jesus entered humanity and lived a perfect life, crucified and rose from the dead. Well, let me read a few passages that I am convinced should give you, if you do not know already, the clue. Here is Job, Job 19, which was written maybe 2100 BC, so before Abraham, some assert, as late as 500 BC, but long before Christ came, here's what he writes. Job 19:25, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet from out of my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. Job 16, 9, even now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and he who testifies before me is on high. He will decide or he will umpire or mediate for man with God as a man pleads for his neighbor. This is 2,000 to 500 years before Christ. Genesis uh, 15, verse 3. Genesis 12, verse 3. Genesis 21, God says to Abraham, And in your offspring, in your seed, Abraham, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And Abraham believed the Lord, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. Jesus was asked about Abraham and spoke about what Abraham thought 2,000 years later in John 8, verse 56. And he states this very stunning comment to a group of Jews who are questioning Jesus on who he is. Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad, exceedingly glad. The Jews then said to Jesus, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. Psalm 2, verse 12. This is a doozy. One of my favorites. 1000 BC, David, King David, an old covenant member, a thousand years before Christ, writes the following. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. Listen carefully. Kiss the sun, S-O-N. In Hebrew, Neshku Bar. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Psalm 16, verse 8 and following. David writes, I have foreseen the Lord always before me, 1000 BC, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You, O Lord, has made known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Who's at the right hand of God the Father right now? Peter, when he preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, quoted Psalm 16 and emphatically stated that David foresaw the Christ and spoke about his death and resurrection. Isaiah 52, 
Verse 13, 700 B.C. approximately. He writes, For thus says the Lord, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. My servant shall be high and lifted up and exceedingly exalted. As many were appalled at him, his appearance was marred beyond human resemblance and his form beyond that of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. Of that which has not been told them, they will see, and that which they have not heard, they will understand. Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed, Isaiah writes. Isaiah 60.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Even Jesus himself says to a group of Jews that uh, two years before his own crucifixion, John 5, 38, he said critically to them, these people wanted to kill him. He said, "You, you diligently study the scriptures. This would have been the Hebrew Bible, Genesis through Malachi only. Because you think that in them, these scriptures, you have eternal life. Meaning, you think by studying the Bible diligently, you have eternal life. But here's the problem. For you, these scriptures these, te- these scriptures testify about me, yet for you, you are unwilling to come to me and have life. Jesus says that the Hebrew Bible speaks about him. And this is why Peter would say in Acts 4, Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. He is the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. How was a person saved who lived before Jesus? Well, according to the Bible, the same way you and I are today, by faith in the Messiah, the Christ, the Redeemer. There certainly are two big questions which emerge from this truth as people hear it. And the first question is something like this. How can anyone be saved by a crucifixion of Christ that has not yet even occurred? In other words, if Jesus' crucifixion is the only way to salvation, which it is, how can a person's sins be paid for if Christ has not actually yet been crucified? Good question. Question two is, well, how can people in the Old Testament before Jesus come to trust in Christ, his life and his work, through the gospel when the message of Christ was not yet preached, heard, or known? Well, let's, let's look at the latter question first real quickly. Who says that the gospel of Christ was not yet heard known or preached before Jesus ever lived. Because according to the Bible, clearly it was. It was definitely proclaimed. Certainly the gospel of Jesus Christ was not as clearly proclaimed back in the Old Testament time period as it is today with the details. Although in Isaiah 53, 
You have the most detailed description of the crucifixion of Jesus and why Christ yields salvation to those who believe in him of any chapter in the Bible. But it, the message was there. It was written. The message of the gospel was written. This is why Jesus said to his disciples after his resurrection in Luke 24, verse 44, didn't I tell you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It was written that Christ will suffer and raise from the dead and yield eternal life. This is what Peter preaches on Pentecost. Isaiah, Jeremiah, detail. The crucifixion of Christ, his birth is, is detailed throughout the prophets. The gospel was proclaimed. Isaiah 53.1, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? God proclaimed and revealed the gospel of Christ. Thousands of years, 2,000, 1,700 years before Christ. And the gospel was preached. Many people do not understand this. They think the gospel did not exist until after Jesus was in ministry. And then latter, until after he was crucified. This is not true. Hebrews chapter 4. The writer says, For the good news was preached. Euangelizo, the verbal form of the of the Greek word euangelion, which is the good news or the gospel. The good news was preached to us just as it was to Israel back then, but the message that Israel heard beginning in 1500 BC approximately did not benefit them because they were not united to it by faith. Therefore, as God says, they will not enter my rest. Verse 6, Hebrews 4, Since therefore it remains for some to enter God's rest eternally, and those who formerly had the good news preached to them, again, they fail to enter God's rest because of disobedience. Therefore, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ, maybe not including the names of his friends and their occupations as fishermen, for example. But it was there, was preached to the people of Israel going back long before Jesus ever came. John the Baptist knew this and preached it clearly. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in his way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all those who take refuge in him. David writes, David, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Abraham, were believers in the Christ, and their faith in the Christ yielded them salvation, eternal life, even before Jesus had come on earth. How can this be? You may ask, many have asked, how can this be? How could a not-yet-perfect life and a not-yet-crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the payment for sins, effectually yield to those who believe in him salvation if the event had not yet happened? That is an excellent question if anyone's even thought about that. Here's the answer. According to the Bible, it does not matter at which side 
of the cross a person lived to be the recipient of its benefits by faith. In other words, for Abraham, Abel, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, living hundreds to a thousand or so years before Jesus, what God did, according to the Bible, is God credited to Abraham, David, Isaiah, for example, the future perfect life and the future cross and righteousness of Christ long before Jesus actually fulfilled the mission of a perfect life and crucifixion because it was so guaranteed to happen. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 3. Listen carefully. This is beautiful. Romans 3.22, as the law and the prophets testify, the righteousness of God is through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How true is that? All humanity and are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, the one and only way, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement or as a sacrifice of propitiation by his blood in approximately 34, 35 AD. And he is to be received by faith. Listen carefully. This was to demonstrate God's righteousness because God, who is a holy judge and does not just pass out warnings, I would add, in his divine forbearance, left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Meaning, David's sins were not paid for yet. David was not treated as his sins deserve, as he writes in Psalm 32. Blessed is a man who's forgiven and is not treated as his sins deserve. David was an adulterer and a murderer and many other sins. And he did not personally pay the eternal penalty for his sins. Why? Because God in his grace passed over the punishment on David because God would later yield the sin and the punishment on Jesus. Isaiah writes 700 BC, he, the Christ, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah writes in what is known as the prophetical perfect tense or the prophetical past tense. When people read Isaiah 53, they go, why is he writing in the past tense? This is an event that happens in the future. It's an excellent question. Well, it's an intentional strategy by the prophet known as the prophetical perfect, whereby he is describing something of huge significance in the future that is so guaranteed to happen by God, he writes of it as if it has already occurred. And secondly, he writes of it in the past tense because the benefits of the future crucifixion of Christ were then yielded to those already who believed in him. It worked like it works like this. On the cross, God treated Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as if he personally committed every sin that David committed 1,000 years before that. And the same for Abraham, Noah, Isaiah, 
in Jeremiah. Truly, he passed over their sins, not yielding the deserved punishment on those who believed. He would later, in his judgment and righteousness, execute the judgment in a propitiation, substitutionary sacrifice of his own son in human flesh. Quite frankly, what's far more astonishing than thinking that Jesus was actually punished for David's sins a thousand years after David committed them is to think that Jesus Christ was punished 2,000 years ago for my sins not yet committed by a person who did not exist. Think about that. Because according to Isaiah, writing for God in Isaiah 53, 6, it says the Lord has laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we become the righteousness of God. Somehow, mysteriously, God laid my sin, my future sin, and my guilt and the penalty I deserve on Christ 2,000 years ago before I existed or any sin of mine ever occurred. As David foresaw the coming Christ and received credit for the coming Christ's work, you and I today who believe foresee the return of Christ, an event that is guaranteed to happen that we will benefit from but look back on his crucifixion. The loving grace and power of God. That's why Paul writes in Romans 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are God's judgments. How unfathomable his ways indeed. How was a person saved who lived before Jesus? How was a person saved who lived during Jesus' life on earth? How is a person saved today? The exact same way. Genuine faith, turning from sin and faith in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the only way to salvation. He's God's way, the only way. I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus says, John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved, Acts 4, 12. There's one mediator between God and man. The man, Jesus Christ, Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. There's only one way, only one salvation God in his loving grace has provided. And there's no second chances once your life is over. If you're not a believer in Christ Jesus, know that he is the only salvation. His name means salvation of Yahweh. Please come to Christ Jesus if you not come to him already. There's no second chance, no other way. God's loving grace to mankind in providing his son. And if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, like David was and Abraham was, who you may call them Messianic followers, Messianic Jews, you could say they were Christians too. They foresaw the Lord and hoped in him and in joy waited for his crucifixion and later return. Praise the Lord for God's grace to open your heart to make known to you the arm of the Lord, namely his son, the way of eternal life and peace with God. Praise the Lord. What a beautiful God, a gracious God. Thank you very much for listening. Spread the word.